0: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees Promote for new customers for limited time Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows Full terms at mintmobile.com Have a listen to this Have a listen to this
1: <laughs> Now that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's
2: share market to a two-year the low There who are of course conflicts He
0: the was the big spender right. The big spender Doing Mr. the grocery 28.8 shopping 28.8 could take a huge chunk out of the family budget And that's finance.
1: Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined as always by my little older brother and real life economist Thomas. Hi Thomas. Yeah, good Adam. How are you? Ah, doing well, thank you. Mm -hmm. Voice is a little bit scratchy after the first week of uh, yelling at nippers at Surf Lifesaving over the weekend. So Mm -hmm. we're back on the beach. But as a result, my voice is not what it usually is, so we'll see how we go. Big show coming up. Thank you for joining us again, or welcome if you're tuning in for the first time. And, Thomas, we've got some nice reviews coming in. Mm. Uh, We do love it if you leave us a review. A reviewer who goes by the name of News and Economy Dummy, not sure if that's his real name or her real name, uh, says, love this podcast. Often reference it when trying to hold my own in conversation with my smart friends. So that's good. That's, that's certainly one strategy. Uh, as a general rule, I try to avoid making any friends who are smarter than me. But, uh, let's just say my friendship group isn't solving world well, peace anytime soon. Uh, also, big shout out to Maggie. Maggie sent us a message on Facebook at CVE Podcast. She said that sometimes she laughs so much that it gives her an asthma attack. <laughs> She says the show might be hazardous to her health, so uh, we're kind of sorry, Maggie, <laughs> but at the same time, we are thrilled that you're enjoying the show. So um, thank you for tuning in. Sorry, not sorry. Sorry, <laughs> not sorry. <laughs> we, we really don't wish anyone harm, but that that is a great that is that is a, a great post. Uh, so yeah, thank you guys. Look, massive show coming up, as I said. And starting with you, beauty ripper mate, there is a cracker of an airline been announced for Australia, so get around it. Find out why I'm talking like a drongo a bit later on in the show. A lot of people have been talking about ghost cities, and no, Thomas, we're not talking about Adelaide. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for once we're not the butt end of a joke some experts are worried one of the world's biggest banks reckons bitcoin is a systemic risk to the global financial system as a result bitcoin gained 5% <laughs> <laughs> And, Thomas, I'm going to ask you the question right now, in fact. Do we need immigration to kickstart the Australian economy?
2: Yeah, well, this is, yeah, this is what the New South Wales government's top mandarins are the heads of the public service in New South Wales. Apparently, they put mm. together a briefing pack for the incoming Premier, which we covered a couple of episodes ago. Yeah, and they said that they they called for explosive growth. That was their their term. Actually, they wanted to see two million uh, immigrants over five years, and uh, so four hundred thousand a year. This is Australia, by the way, not not for mm. not. F- New South Wales doesn't get to determine immigration <laughs> policy in, in, in Australia.
1: I don't know. That Dom Perrottet, he's, he's, he's making waves. He's taking he's charge. He's calling the shots. Yeah.
2: not happy. Well, yeah, he announced that people didn't have to quarantine when they came home and yeah. New South Wales borders were open and Scomo's like, yeah, no, they're not. <laughs> <laughs> you don't even get to decide. Yeah. <laughs> I like his style,
1: Dom. I like mm. it. He just he's just he's throwing out policy and he's like, "Well, you tell me if I'm not allowed to do it."
2: Mm. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, so the, so the briefing pack that he got from, from his heads of, heads of department said that, yeah, mm. there's an opportunity to push a national dialogue on an aggressive resumption of immigration levels as a key means of economic recovery and post-pandemic growth. Right. That's what, so, that's what they're calling for. So, yeah, so they're looking for 2, two million over 5 years would be explosive. Like, that's a, that's a pretty aggressive.
1: So, what's the, what's the normal rate to give people a bit of an idea?
2: About two hundred to 250,000. Over the the last ten years, we've had yeah about two hundred and fifty to two hundred fifty thousand. Sort of before the sort of ten to twenty years before that, it was around eighty to a hundred thousand a year. Right. So kind of in the Howard years, that sort of ramped up. Um, We had a much bigger immigration intake than previously, and then it sort of held at 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 that higher level. Where was it at?
1: where was that when Pauline Hanson came on the scene? It was probably... Because she was really against it. She was. <laughs> like really against it. If that was sitting around 100K, she must be fuming right now.
2: Yeah. She wasn't She was. She wasn't a big fan of, of Perite's comments, we can say right. that. Yeah. I mean, there's sort of her thing, it has sort of shifted. When she came, I think it was late 90s when she got maybe early yeah. 2000s and there was the whole swamp by Asians speech in parliament. Um, mm. And, yeah, so there's sort of – she was about the particular places that immigration was coming from more so than the numbers of immigration. I think right. she was, you know, wanting it to be a bit whiter than perhaps it, than she thought it was. Yeah, so the, the, that sort of dimension to it. But the, here, here we're just talking about sheer numbers and I don't think it really yeah. – we're not really talking about where people are coming from.
1: So is, why is the New South Wales government in particular pushing for it? Like, I mean, what, what's their agenda? Do they have one?
2: It's it's odd that it's coming from the state state governments and from the from the public service departments. Like I, I don't I don't get that. I don't get where that's coming from. Because you remember, like immigration levels is set by at a federal level. So federal the federal government controls how many the, the immigration intake, and that's set by Treasury. Funnily enough, so tre- it seems to be largely used as an economic lever. So that when they want to r- r- ramp up the growth numbers, they bring in more people. Yeah. But the state governments have to deal with the consequences of that because the state governments are the ones providing hospitals and schools and roads and all that sort of things, so the things that people actually use when they live. Mm. And so it's not so much in their interests normally. Like there's, it's, it's, it's historically there's been a bit of a tension between the federal government and the state governments around this. You know, might remember Bob Carr back in the two thousand said announced that Sydney was full. <laughs> um, and that that caused a big stir at the time. But he was kind of saying, like, we've reached our reached our limits of growth here. We can't keep expanding and adding more people while maintaining the same standards of living because we just we don't we're not keeping up with with population growth as it is, and we need to we need to sort of slow it down. Mm. And you think about it, like two million over five years that's that's a city the size of Perth. So if we're going to add that to the population, we need as much infrastructure as Perth has. We need as many hospitals as many schools road networks all of that so we need to mm, footy stadium footy of yeah or two um yeah, So, but so like so a, 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 an explosive growth in immigration like that needs to go hand in hand with an infrastructure mm. you know explosive growth in infrastructure to keep pace otherwise we're going to see living standards decline by by definition but there's not clear that, that, that those things are necessarily married up and, because, and historically they're not because you've got federal governments contro- controlling the immigration rates, mm. state governments controlling infrastructure, and it's kind of just a happy coincidence if those two things marry up and often they don't seem to. Yeah, right. Mm.
1: So they kind, of, they kind of rely on – like they're codependent, right? So the federal government wants more immigration. They, they really need the state governments to build the infrastructure and the state governments probably want to build the infrastructure – but they can't really commit to building a lot more unless they know that we're getting, you know, a, a bigger influx. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: yeah. They go they go sort of hand in hand. I mean, the the other thing is interesting. So there was a news.com did a poll of this and they're saying that 80% of people wanted lower levels of immigration than pre-pandemic levels. So only 12% of people supported the explosive growth. 8% just 8% wanted the pre-pandemic levels, somewhere around 200,000, and everyone else, which is 80%, wanted, to, wanted it to go back to 80,000 or very little or no immigration. Yeah, right. And, and there's, there's been a string of studies that have shown a similar result now that the public, by and large, doesn't want supercharged immigration. They're sort of like immigration as a concept is popular, Mm. Uh, people like immigration they like what it's doing for the country and you know i'm a big fan it's, it's been awesome um but like there's there's a there's a limit to it and explosive growth i think does alarm that, that idea alarms people particularly if they're dealing with congested roads and crowded schools crowded hospitals yeah. middle of a pandemic we're, we're already talking about the hospital system you know being stretched didn't seem like there was a lot of give in the system already and so people are a bit like, well, I don't know. Like, do we? Yeah, I'm a, I'm am I'm pro immigration, but like, I don't want to like, well, I don't want mm. to go crazy. And, and there's been a number of studies that seem to have support, like where that 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 results come through.
1: So I'm curious to know what does it do to like unemployment and wages? Like, if we get an influx of two million people, mm. there, there's more there's more workers in the market.
2: Yeah, yeah. Typically, I mean, like we kind of we got a little case study in this now where, where net immigration's gone from two hundred to three hundred thousand down to zero in you know in a very short time, and then we're we're mm. seeing unemployment rates tanked, and we're talking about wage pressures. But there's sort of there's sort of short term and long long term effects. In the short run, it must be true that if you bring in uh, workers at a particular skill level that wages around that skill level will be suppressed because it's just mm. some supply and demand. And kind of that's kind of how we run the skilled visa migration program is that companies go to the government and say, like, oh, hey, I, there's not enough accountants. I'm having to pay accountants too much money. I can't afford it. I need you to bring in some more accountants. We've got a skills shortage of accountants. Mm. And the government goes, okay, right, we're adding accountants to the skills migration list the skill visa list, and then we bring in more accountants. That increase in supply pushes down wages, and that's kind of the point. Mm. So that's sort of at the short run. In the long run, the studies are a bit equivocal. It like it it seems to suggest that it's in some segments um, it does suppress wages, but there's sort of an uh, an overall improvement in productivity and um, mm. ag- the aggregate skill level, and that. That sort of balances out in the longer runs. In the longer run, it's it's not as clear cut. But in the short run, you would think it does have an impact on, on wages and an unemployment rate. And then, but that sort of sorts itself out a little in the long run.
1: It's kind of self fulfilling, though, isn't it too? Like if you allow more immigration, and then you go, "Well, we're going to need more infrastructure." They go, "Ah, yeah, who's going to build it? (laughs) (laughs) You know what we need." <laughs> we can fly some workers in, build this infrastructure to support the people that we're flying in. Like, yeah, it's yeah. kind of cyclical. <laughs> so, all yeah. right, very good. Look, Thomas, I'd love to talk more about serious matters like immigration, but there's some big news during the week, and that is that there's going to be a new low cost airline mm. on the way called Bonza. Hey. Bonza, the Australian airline.
2: Of course, it is. What's going on? What else would you call it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, apparently there's a, there's announced a new a new airline's going to be starting up in 2022 uh, called Bonza Airlines.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's even funnier when you say it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh, uh, is, the thing I love about it is it's backed by the US investment firm. 777 partners or 777 partners, 777 partners, which sounds like right. they've just ripped it straight off a gaming lounge at the RSL with the 777,
1: yeah, 777. 777s.
2: Is there a Boeing 777? Uh, I don't know, gonna make more sense. They're, 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 they've got a new, they're launching with a new fleet of new Boeing 737 8. Yeah, oh man, I wonder what
1: the Bonza Club Lounge is gonna be like. <laughs> 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 There's eskies everywhere oh, yeah. food, food and drinks Both come in cans <laughs> There's someone in there Cooking a Bunnings barbecue <laughs> G'day mate <laughs> Where am I going to Bunnings outlet store At the airport How good would that <laughs> Oh man That'd be the best Oh yeah. Adelaide's one step Ahead of the game We've already got a Bunnings At the airport How about that mate, do you really? yeah, wow. yeah It's right next to Ikea
2: I can imagine the, Coming down the aisle Like, Would you like onions With your sausage <laughs>
1: No way, man. It's a safety hazard. It's like Occult and safety stamp that out. There's no way they're serving onions, onion, snag and bread on a plane. <laughs> what are you trying to get us all killed? <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. Um, so where, are they, where are they flying?
2: Well, they, they're, going, they're going to do... So, the founder and CEO of Bonza, Tim Jordan. Mm. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so, Australia is ripe for what we're planning for Bonza, he said. We are about no. the leisure traveller. Which of course they are. <laughs> uh, it's like a it's like a brand of Kmart menswear, isn't oh, it? it? Leisure traveller. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, pick yourself up some KT twenty sixes and a pair of leisure travellers. <laughs> uh, you can you can tell it's not for the discerning flyer, can't you? It's like. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Oh man! So, yeah. so the the leisure traveller apparently this is a distinction I didn't realise. So there's leisure traveller and then there's business travellers, and so they're not. Then you might guess they're not. Tra- they're not targeting the business market. <laughs> they're all no, yeah, and they're also they're okay. also going for for the regional route. So they're avo- avoiding which is something that I've learned is called the golden triangle, which is. <laughs>
1: <laughs> regional route sounds like an end of footy trip to Ballarat. <laughs> 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 Ladies and gentlemen, first off as a mother speaking, <laughs> your pilot on Bonza today will be Big Dave, he's our regional <laughs> route specialist. <laughs> Aren't you Dave though, <laughs> <laughs> We'll be navigating the Golden Triangle. Oh my
2: goodness. Yeah. It keeps on giving. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, so Golden Triangle, Sydney, Brisbane and Melbourne. Mm. And that's, that's one of the densest routes apparently. So Qantas had 46 flights a day from Sydney to Melbourne prior to the prior to the pandemic wow yeah so very it's a very crowded market i love it there's neil neil hansford's the chairman of strategic aviation solutions with the interview with the abc abc said it's an absolute gamble you can't you can't <laughs> <laughs> of, course of course it, it is. is having a pun triple seven partners
1: bonzer P- airlines brought to you by sports bet that <laughs> you want to fly yeah
2: Oh it's funny actually because he said if you ask me for some odds of whether it will get off the ground <laughs> meaning a 5 or 6 aircraft fleet I would give you odds of no greater than 5%. What? Yeah. So I reckon it's 20 to 1. It's good bad.
1: Wow. I heard that um, so they're planning on flying to these regional areas, right? But they're flying 737s which are apparently too big for <laughs> most regional airports. <laughs> and it's not the weight but it's the width of the runways is not big enough, so it needs to be thirty meters wide, and most are like twenty meters wide. Oh. But I just reckon like it couldn't get any more Aussie than that, could it? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Captain, do you reckon you can really land this seven three seven on that skinny little runway down there? <laughs> oh, can I can't, mate. <laughs> I landed a Hercules on a surfboard once. <laughs> All right, why don't, we, uh, why don't we leave that frivolity behind us? Good luck to Bonza and all, all people associated with it. Um, Shout-outs if you're, uh, if you're uh, flying Bonza in the next couple of years. Good luck to you. Uh, we'll take a, a short break now, get a word from our sponsors, and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.
0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today.
1: Welcome back. You're on Comedian Versus Economist. Don't forget you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at CVE Podcast. We'd love it if you followed our pages there or sent us a message, liked our posts, all of the above. Thomas, we actually had a listener question come in Mm. uh, and you can send us an email, cve at equitymates.com or on the website equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Rhiannon asked us, I'll summarize, but she heard a lot about ghost cities in China and was just interested to know more about what they are and how they happen. And I thought you'd be the man to
2: ask. Mm -hmm, mm. Yeah. So if you build a city on top of an ancient indigenous burial ground... (laughs) No, yeah. No. but So Evergrande. So this is this is in the news at the moment because Evergrande, the sort of biggest developer, property developer in China, is going bust, and mm. it seems to be dragging down a whole bunch of uh, big construction companies with it. Fantasia's in real trouble, and then that that's sort of you know bleeding through the financial system, potentially going global. So it's a, it's a sort of a hot spot that uh, people are worried about at the moment. Um, and the sort of the, the unique thing about China is there's there's a huge amount of uh, empty homes. So at the last count, there were sixty five million uh, empty units. Sixty five million. Yeah, yeah, sixty five million. So they could yeah you could you could you could house the entire population of France in China right now without without displacing anyone. Wow. Hmm. And yeah, right. Yeah, So a huge huge amount of empty stock. And, yeah, so CBS broke the story that 60 Minutes in the the American version of 60 Minutes ran a story back in 2013 documenting China's ghost towns where they went around to a bunch of these new developments where there was just high-rise tower after high-rise tower pretty much completely empty.
1: So 2013, so that's like eight years ago, they already had like ghost cities and ghost towns. Yeah, yeah. Ghost villages, <laughs> <laughs> like the whole the whole array of ghost infrastructure, <laughs> and so that was eight years ago, and they've kept building.
2: Yeah, and
1: yeah. who? What did, did the writing wasn't on the wall?
2: Well, I, don't, I just don't think it was a problem. They sort of just it just sort of deal, dealt with it, and it was sort of it was well known. So there was like a, the famous case was a place called Ordos Newtown, also known as Kungbashi. It was in Inner Mongolia. Um, it was designed, a whole sort of city designed to house a million people, but midway through they scaled it back to 300,000. Uh, and then, but of 2016, there was only 100,000 people living in it. Oh, you know what Inner Mongolia is like in the winter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, I think the thing about China is that so much of it is controlled at the government level. Um, mm. Right, and and population movements inc- included. So then, they with Kangbashi, what they did is they sent some of the top schools to to that area, and then people followed, families followed, because they wanted to send their kids to those schools. Right, and that's yep. and then they they managed to do that. And so that's sort of something that this, the central planning that's possible in China m- makes a problem like that kind of manageable because you, the government just goes, well, we'll just find a way to make people move there. And they make mm. it happen, um, and they're also for a long time they're very pro construction they really they really wanted to push uh, the the construction sector mostly because it's it's a big it's a big it's a powerhouse of the economy so it's it's so it, it's that here every year China builds fifteen million new homes that's five times as many as the u s and europe combined wow and that yeah, and it accounts for something like a fifth of the Chinese economy. But
1: what are they? But I don't get it. What are they counting on happening? Like their
2: their the population isn't growing at, at that fast, is it? Like urbanisation is the, the key thing here. So people are moving from the country. Yeah. So at the turn of the century, thirty six percent, so just over a third of people lived in mm. the city. Right. As of last year, it's up to sixty one percent.
0: So ah, the, so they've right.
2: urbanised thirty percent of their population mm. in, in twenty years. And and so the, that's sort of the trend that they're sort of doing. So the 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 local government, the local governments, they're they're really pro construction. They're they're leasing the land. You don't sell land in China; you lease it. They're leasing it to developers. The developers are building, and then the other thing is it's 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 mum and dad investors are sort of often paying for it,
0: mm-hmm. and
2: they're sort of happy for it to be sort of empty for a while because it's sort of a store of wealth. They're not so much buying it as a as a as an how we think of an investment, we're getting a rental return. They're sort of they're sort of buying into the store of wealth. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> well, well, okay. Who owns them at the moment? Well, I think I think the mum and dad investors, the mum and dad investors own them. Yeah, yeah. But mum, mum, and dad, we're talking about a, a, a sort of a thin, a, quite a wealthy segment of Chinese mm. society. It's that's, that's not everyone. That's sort of you know the top ten, twenty percent. So they're not for sale. Then most of these ghosts
1: cities or ghost apartments i don't think so no no they're built by a developer Mm. they've already been sold to private owners
2: Mm. Mm.
1: and they're just choosing
2: not to live (laughs) in them on mass yeah well there isn't anyone (laughs) who wants to live on them yeah live in them yet yeah but but they think (laughs) they think it'll happen
1: (laughs) (laughs) seems a very speculative play we're gonna buy a house i'm gonna buy it somewhere where nobody wants to live now and i can't see anyone going to want to live there soon and even if people do want to live there there's going to be just a a swathe of other properties available to live in
2: but i think i think this is this is this is life in a centrally planned economy because you're buying it because the government's saying at some point in the near future there are going to be 20 million people living here Mm. and we know that's true because we say it's true and, we, mm. and we're and we're going to make it happen one way or the other. And so you've you you can not the, the government's got your back there. The other thing that happens is you you, you don't you can't get a run of uh, on on property prices. So in, like in a property price crash, which is which are very rare, they almost never happen. But you think about Ireland in the in post GFC, mm. what happens is there's a lot of surplus stock, people are holding it, and then prices start to slide. They've bought it speculatively. Maybe interest rates are starting to rise and then people who are holding it, who can't afford to hold it, go, oh, I've got to get out. I've got to, I've got to mm. sell. I've got to liquidate. I, can't, I don't want to be caught holding the baby. Once everyone thinks that, then you get on a run on prices and prices can crash. That can't happen in China because the government can stop people selling property. So the government can just stop transactions really yeah if the if the if the government thinks the price is too low they won't give you a certificate of sale genius yeah yeah and so so what happens in china is that prices don't fall but tr- but transactions dry up completely
1: right yeah okay
2: you end up you end up stopping property prices crashing it's like it's like it's like a market freeze in the share market where where the you know the in the ASX or whatever the prices share market falls such a, a certain percent the ASX just freezes and goes. Okay, we're just going to take a breather. Everyone, get their heads back together. Um, mm. Let's not get carried away, and then we'll reopen the market. It's kind of like that. That's, that's how. I try, that's how. But with property, which is sort of, which is massive. So it's a, it's a very different beast.
1: Oh, well, if the ghost cities all go bad, then I don't know. Who are you going to call? <laughs> 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 Right, moving right along, Thomas, and Bitcoin is a systemic risk, apparently, according to a major bank. Who's saying this now?
2: Yeah, no, it's not a major bank. It's the Bank of England. It sounds pretty major to me. Yeah, it's the major bank. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) uh, Yeah, that's the Bank of England. It's it's the Reserve Bank of Australia of England. (laughs) (laughs) ah now i understand (laughs) so their so their deputy governor sir john cunliffe the most english name ever um yeah he sort of came out and he's 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 warning that bitcoin could trigger a financial meltdown unless the government get tough with regulations yeah saying it's just sort of go it's going too fast and and he's, he's worried about leverage in particular um and saying that there's growing leverage in the system and that's that's potentially a problem so, saying that cryptocurrencies have grown to $2.3 trillion now in total. In mm. um, saying that's still relatively small, the global financial system's $250 trillion. So, it's still, you know, it's, still re- it's not nothing, but it's still relatively mm. small g- compared to the whole financial system. But he says, but as the financial crisis showed us, you don't have to to account for a large proportion of the financial sector to trigger financial stability problems. Subprime was valued at about $1.2 trillion in 2008. Mm. So the subprime, uh, I'm sure you know, but I'll just re- refresh it for our listeners. <laughs> yes, for, for the listeners. Yeah. So the so, subprime gave us our GFC. So in, in the run-up to the GFC, there was super loose uh, housing credit available. Mm. You had this thing called Ninja Loans, which is was an acronym: no income, no job, and no assets. Um, uh, yeah, and you could you could, you could yeah, loose acronym. Um, <laughs> but you could you could get a mortgage in two thousand and seven with no income, no job, and no assets. Right, and that's
1: ah, and that's, that's the subprime. That's the subprime.
2: Yeah, and there was a it's so the Optimus Prime, son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so that is, and that it's when those loans went bad. They, they were sort of. Uh, they were never yeah. going. They were never. They were never going to go good. When mm. when everyone woke up and realised how bad they were, that gave us a, the global financial crisis, and right. collapsing banks and all that sort of business. Yeah, and that was a global phenomenon. Like that kind of trashed the whole. Every every nation on earth felt the impact of the GFC. Mm. Um, but that was with a you know subprime was just one point two trillion, uh, crypto right. is now two point three trillion, and he's saying it's. It's kind of so
1: they're talking now there's lots of people borrowed money to mm. buy crypto,
2: yeah, 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 that's right, and I don 't think he's talking about the mum and dad punters here, or you know he's, he's saying like they're seeing the emergence of leverage players. Um, so right. I think it's like we're talking hedge funds now and, and, and players like that. So bigger money coming in and leveraging up and getting into crypto. And he's saying that's, that's what he's worried about.
1: Right. Cause I was going to say, I, I posted a link to the article on Reddit and nobody seemed worried at all. Right. It was all
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: people were just looking forward to a dip. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> Just
1: ptfd yeah yeah,
2: yeah so yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the money quote for me is saying financial stability risks currently are relatively limited but they could grow very rapidly if as I expect this area continues to develop and expand at pace so you heard it there first bitcoin to the moon says the
1: bitcoin bank to- <laughs> says the bank of England <laughs> so yeah. have
2: <laughs> he's loading up he's loading up <laughs> that's right <laughs> It's going to develop and expand its space. It's going to bring down the financial system, just yeah. as everyone's in the Bitcoin Ket community on. is predicting. Brilliant,
1: yeah. Because I was going to say that's what uh, people want. People who are in, into Bitcoin are like, duh, that's what. We, this is exactly why we brought in to disrupt and displace the global financial system. Mm, mm. So this dude's just like, hell yeah, he's he's is his handle at Big Dog Forty <laughs> Seven on <laughs> 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 on Reddit. Yeah. From, from yeah, the Bank of this England.
2: Is, yeah, I don't, this is just a transcript I got from a TikTok video. I don't, I don't know
1: <laughs> <it>. <laughs> uh, Brilliant. All right, I reckon we might leave it there. That does us for another week. Thank you so much out there for tuning into our show. We really appreciate it. Um, don't forget, you would really love it if you went and left us a review, or as I say, you can send us an email cve at equitymates.com or on the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE. Find us on socials at CVE podcast. And don't forget, bunch of other fantastic podcasts out there from Equity Mates Media. Get started investing, Equity Mates Investing Podcast. You're in good company and talk money to me. Thomas, thank you for talking money to me. Thank you. Uh, We will see you again next week. Bye for now.
0: Comedian
2: vs Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian Verse Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.
0: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer.